Hi everyone and welcome back to Hype A with me, Cristalina, as your host. So today on episode four, we have Sam Lambert, who is a fashion designer currently in Paris, France for Paris Fashion Week. He's the creative director of Art Comes First, based in London, England. Art Comes First also has a creative agency where they design, style and photograph clients like Oswald Boateng, um, Austin Reed, uh, Fred Perry, The Couples and many, many more. Art Comes First's mottos include, this is about creating new stylish subculture of rebels, non-conformists in fashion and injects it to the world. Group of people of any age, gender, cultural background. Art Comes First is cool, man. It's cool with a K is what I say. So let's hear more about it and so much more. Let's welcome Sam. Hi, Sam. How are you doing? Hi, I'm all right. I'm all right. How are you? I'm really well. Thank you so much um, for coming to Hype A. And how's it going in Paris right now? Um, well, at the moment, it's quite good. It's, it's relaxed. But uh, of, of course, next week uh, is the prep for Fashion Week. It's going to get hectic. But at the moment, it's really good. Thank you. Awesome. Tell, tell us about um, the importance of the Fashion Weeks for, you know, creative businesses in fashion. Why is it important? I think the number one thing is exposure, really. Uh, it's important after all the the work you've been doing through six months and to be able to exhibit uh, in front of the audience, which you have uh, customers, retailers, press, and it's very important to be able to also teach the, the regular customer how that fashion works because most of the time people, they only buy stuff when it's at a shop and then they enjoy it and that's it. And they don't think about how it's actually been made or who makes it and, and what it takes it to make those garments. Um, so I think, yeah, it's very important to be able to, to really meet everybody at one place, but also to release all the stress you've been going through by creating uh, such a pieces and collection. Absolutely. Um, I mentioned on high pay my parents quite a lot. And my mother was one of the first black women in, in Europe. Um, she was a first black model apologies first black model in Europe and what she she was modeling for Karl Lagerfeld and uh Yves Saint Laurent in Paris and she's living there for like years and she was mainly a fitting model for the atelier um and she remembers how important it was for exactly what you said for people to see how the works were made but it was a really intimate setting um is that is that intimate setting in terms of like having a tiny mini uh, catwalk still like part of the kind of couture houses is that still important or is it mainly like major runways um and that kind of thing T tell us more about that so uh i'll start from your mother being a fit model is a very important uh position in this business and i think in fact that's kind of what most of the people don't really get to to see important before the garment is in a shop someone be able to try and be like oh this fits me perfectly oh this is you know i love this fit he has to do from the designer trying on a fit model and fit model also giving feedback to the designer how that she feels or he feels um it's very important to to do catwalks and all this but i think me personally i'm not into the whole big catwalk i come from the craft Craft, uh, craftsmanship side of the business so for me I look at fashion how things are made how things are uh, are performing in the body how fabrications are being produced so I'll say I'm much more on the side of um, of the small little gathering like what I mean small I mean small in terms of the audience but in terms of like how do you create them which mainly is mostly couture because you're paying attention to the actual making of the garment and the big uh, fashion shows can this those are kind of like uh, rock concerts where the, the, you mm -hmm. have a massive action lights and glitteries and all that um of course best sound also but I'll mm -hmm. most rather having smaller kind of shows like you know let's talk about cotton clubs or jazz cafe where you can actually feel the the the, the sound and the the the, the, the the atmosphere of the mm -hmm. of the place. So I'll say I'm more I'm more into the smaller type of um shows. But having said that, I've been living in Paris for six, seven years now. And uh 
here they really do live and breathe the, the craftsmanship, especially if you go to different houses, you can see how much like, you know, it's, and it's not about being, uh, being or against young people, but you can see all these old people who really knows that, that, that job. That's why they call out the material. You see mm -hmm. them really working on those beads, working on those embroideries, working on those. It's all handmade. So it's really important later on to be able to showcase these uh, pieces at the right way, which does the reason couture is quite uh, uh, one of the most important for me personally. But I'll say, obviously, the bigger production of shows are also great. Like I went to Dior uh, fashion show last wow. uh, season. It was amazing. It's just good to see what Kim Jong's doing. And it's beautiful to see the, the art deco also, you know, because mm -hmm. nowadays it's just about, oh, let's be, pick a big space and do a show, but let's also decorate it to actually tell the story of the collection, which I really like about the big shows, which is a big storytelling. So there's one storytelling one side and there's a craftsmanship on the other side. And then both of them together just creates beauty and splendor and like, you know, jaws on the floor, let's be honest yeah. as well. No, like definitely. how did they do that kind of question? Like, wow, you can really see all the hours that are put in and the stress and the shouting and the crying and the bleeding. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that part. Blood, blood, sweat, and tears for sure. Um, yeah, yeah, I feel you. Um, and I can see that you know you're one of your like symbols on your Instagram, um, which I love. I love the title, by the way, your Instagram handle. Um, it's Black Gypsies, and man, that's such a cool. <laughs> you're just cool, aren't you? You're just too cool. I feel really oh, like not you. cool. <laughs> No, you look coolest, especially after finding out your mother used to be a model. Wow! <laughs> Thank you. Um, I just, I just have like, like sheer respect for fashion designers. I, you know, I really do. Um, but yeah, like one of your symbols is, like, you know, the scissors, right? So as an artist, um, I was taught, you know, like whatever you do, just always make sure that you sharpen your pencils. <laughs> you know, always clean your studio. Like after you finished, it's coming back to that craftsmanship again, isn't it? Yeah, that's it. It's very mm -hmm. important. I think we are nobody without our tools. And for most of the people who understand what I'm talking about, once you find your tool, you fall in love with it, that's going to be the love of your life forever. Because, oh. you know, you need to start from here and, you know, goes to you, your hands and your hands have to do mm -hmm. the, 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 the magic, but we need a tool. And I think for me, because I'm always pro craftsmanship before anything, uh, very important. Same as the the brush painter for a painter, a pen for a writer, you know, a scissor for a tailor. So it's one of those things I love to illustrate before anything. Even before you see my face, before you hear my voice, I want you to be able to see that uh, that tool. Um, because it's also used part of us as as people, right? Culturally, um, just going back to my my Instagram handle, I'm call myself Black Gypsy because I find like I'm a part of a tribe. I'm part of this. Mm -hmm gypsy tribe these nomads we all be moving from place to place you know like i i was born elsewhere i, I study elsewhere i train elsewhere now i live elsewhere and i'm heading another different places you know we with seasons of the world we need to move around so being part of a tribe but you also know traditionally tribes they mm -hmm. live by symbols so you have symbols that mean different things you know even till today we have those symbols sometimes we tend to not to use them for their own meaning but symbol are really important for me and I think starting from looking at my um tool as a symbol it, um, it actually can just give me a chance to be able to communicate uh without words with many different people like I remember just, whenever I go to a country where they don't speak my language whenever I want in a government they see the scissors they're like oh you know someone else would tell you about that piece yeah. uh, and, and I'm glad that uh you you noticed that Oh, trust me, I notice everything. I'm, you know, I'm an artist, I'm a mystic, I'm a podcaster now, but like symbols are so important. And, you know, as a visual person, I think artists, creatives in general, we we look at, at you know, attention to detail is really important. And I I checked, I checked on that, your the scissors. Um and it, it is amazing like how important a tool is, not only like how you use the scissors but how you can also use your hands as scissors like how you tear cloth yeah. right it has to be precise you know yeah. um but it's having I'm sure that intention and like knowing like okay this is how it's going to go and it's that's what makes a craftsman a, a craftsman right yeah um and so are you Ethiopian by birth no actually I am originally from Angola 
Angola. Okay, nice. Mom is from Angola, but we share both um, countries, Angola and Congo, because we're Bakongo. We're from Bakongo tribe. Uh, I'm Ethiopian by choice because um, traditionally, before the whole, I mean, now we're going into into our history, but we all know about African history before the whole name thing. We, the whole we don't, we don't all know about African history actually. actually. <laughs> before dividing the whole thing. We are all people from the same land and we lived in many different places. But also I'm very proud of Ethiopia being one of the only country in Africa that hasn't been colonized. So as mm -hmm. an African, if I have to claim anything, I'll claim Ethiopia because I'm a person who I feel like uh, we as a people, we didn't, we, we, we were colonized before the colonizer came. Like we, were, mm -hmm. we were a really big part of, uh, of the civilization. So I think my, my Ethiopian choice is really based on how strong is that Ethiopian culture till today? One, they haven't been colonized. Two, they still have their own um, uh, scriptures. Three, mm, they, they yeah, mm -hmm. very strong on their own uh, uh, culture. Like they, 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 they speak like the most spoken language. I was in Ethiopia last year. The most spoken language is Amharic. Uh, there's mm -hmm. so many different type of tribe. The first human was found in Ethiopia. Uh, Adam and Eve. Mm -hmm. Yeah, that's it. The year in Ethiopia is different. Like they, they're celebrating the Christmas right now, January the seventh. Um, so many things. Time is different. I was in Ethiopia. They'll give you a different time. Like it's just yeah. very, very much like where we should be as uh, as melanin civilization. So, yeah, yeah, yeah. So I'm often trying to mark that as a point of conversation. And I love the fact you you pick up on that. You ask me that even if some Ethiopian because sometimes they don't know the person behind Black Gypsy going to see the the mm -hmm. writing. They ask me that I go. Why is that? Are you Ethiopian? And and if you realize, I picked the most blackest name, Tikor. Yes, I saw that. Pronounced different in Amharic, but Tikor because I also I'm a very much pro us as a people, pro black, but also mm -hmm. something I want to tap into. Want to get people to know, like I'm celebrating us. I'm celebrating me. So I'm picking things people wouldn't really think that is uh, should be celebrated. I love that. It's so profound. Um, I got so many questions. I got so many questions. Um, yeah. you, like, what? I'm just curious. Like, what do you think of the phrase in the states? Like, there's this now this like uh, now widely accepted phrase, which didn't used to be an accepted phrase. Like, even 10, 20 years ago, the phrase of African American. What do you think of that? That's that's a really beautiful debate because uh, I have a lot of American friends and I have a lot of American followers, and I think part of my career. I had a strong support from um, black, black community in America. Uh, even now, I'm spending a lot of time in the States. So um, mm -hmm. I wanted to talk to you that off air, but I'm actually, yeah, yeah. I'm not in Paris anymore. I'm, I'm transitioning to move to New York. So I'm spending mm. a lot of time. Nice one. Um, the market is great. I, I have yeah, a, of course. Yeah, but I feel like for me, American um, theme is quite sensitive. No, we know it's the land of natives, you know, Native, Native American. Yeah. So already having that, by the time you start separating other people, uh, it's kind of a bit hard. I know most of my friends, the, the Black ones, they don't mind to be called African-American. Some mm. people, they're just like, I'm, I'm American, I'm a Black American. I think mm. title really depends on people, how they, they're comfortable with. But mm. I tend to, most of the time, classify people by maybe... A landscape you know mm -hmm. i'm talking about africa i'm talking about africa i'm talking about east yeah. north west no central that whole thing I, I, i'm not talking about the arabic africa the sub-saharan africa no i'm talking about mm -hmm. the whole africa. so the same mm -hmm. thing when i talk about america i'm talking about the whole america so sometimes putting certain things in front of it mm -hmm. kind, of, kind of discards you from the rest of the people and then i know that one of those people up for separating people so see 100 no, I, I totally agree. And, you know, my my mom is, I guess people say black and she doesn't have an issue with saying black, you know, she's Colombian, South American. And for us, how I heard. Hablas español? Sí, claro que sí. Hablo español italiano también porque my father is also Italian too, Sicilian. So uh, That's good. Look at you. You're probably you're, you're black gypsy then. <laughs> that's what I, that's why I look like this um <laughs> but I think that's also why I appreciate so many different cultures too um you know it, but it's it's like you know it's like oh so I lived in the states for like four years and I, I work there a lot and 
you know it's interesting how a lot of the black community out there will try to kind of like typecast me or pigeonhole me somewhere and I'm, yeah. I, I don't know I feel there in the states I feel I'll be honest like more inclined to you know the Latin community um yeah. more so um but I think it's I think it's going to be interesting to see what transpires in the next 10 20 years in the states I, I know they're going through you know as I said I'm a mystic I know they're going through a Pluto return right now which is like all about identity and like yeah. changes and revolutionary stuff you know so we'll see yeah I think it's, it's, it's definitely interesting it's one of those conversations I always enjoy having with people because you learn so much also about culture uh and as as a black gypsy I tend to spend a, a lot of time with different people from different nationalities and I and the good thing is to listen really because sometimes we tend to react quickly because as I say I'm pro-black but then once you look into uh Latin America there's a mixture of people and sometimes mm-hmm. you might be in Puerto Rico or, or Dominican Republic and then some people that might not identify as black but then mm-hmm. the idea is like these people also have their own tribe maybe they identify as a tribe people but not as mm-hmm. uh, as skin color so you got to allow people to be themselves and what they feel comfortable until they learn about the next thing you know and then Absolutely. It's, been, it's one teacher and to reach one so Absolutely. And it's it's definitely all about history and understanding your history. You know, like in Colombia, not every black uh, heritage person yeah. had experienced slavery. You know, that's yeah. actually a, a, something that not many people know about, you know. And so I think that there are issues in terms of gaps in history as well that we continue to re-educate, you know, uh, whether we like it or not. We sometimes have to lead by example as well. Right. So let's just moving on from that. Um <laughs> Tell us, tell us about, tell us about, um, you know, art comes first. Like, tell us about, you know, why you make the 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 designs that you do. I know that it seems more like a kind of lifestyle brand, right? You've got like this music element to it. You've got this uh, agency element to it too. You've also so, you've also got this uh, avec ses frères as well, which is like this whole kind of like theme based on you know like I'm with my brother sort of situation yeah, where you're like. Yeah with the charro and all of this so yeah, tell us about yeah. that so uh in the beginning um we created our conference me and my best friend you know we'd be we have been brothers you know we chose to be brothers uh for two decades plus you know that was me finding my, my other side of you know as the people say oh, brother from another mother and it was really a natural thing it was a group of people doing different type of thing but i think him and I will really get to click in terms of like where our mindset was. So we created this art collective between only both of us, even though it was only two people, but we found it as a collective because we were being inspired by many uh, other people's work. You know, mm-hmm. some artists and some artists still alive and some artists we didn't even know, we just found out about their work because of, we were on full on research, especially once you move on from one thing to another. As a teenager, we're doing music, but when we move on from music to really just focus on art in general, as fashion, photography, as anything, we start realizing there's so much that we need to uh, discover. So mm-hmm. we gave the, the, the collective the name of our conference because we really wanted to make sure this is for anybody who puts the art first. Right, and while right. we were doing that, we also had a chance of obviously finishing our education. My business partner did the computer science and I did our photography. And when we did that, finish our studies, we had a chance to start up a small business based on our skills. And I ended up in Savvy Row, being trained in Savvy Row for a good six years. And that's actually when we took the collective to the next level. We start telling stories through imageries, through the research image we were finding, but also through original images we were taking. Because by then I took a photography as one of my side hustle while I was still working in Saviro. And I think because of that, we didn't want to make our conference a clothing brand. It was really much more, you know, especially with that kind of name for us, it was like, I need to respect art, not to call it a clothing brand, but much more the canopy is the company. And then under mm-hmm. that, it was all these different things, which obviously that's where Avex Afray falls into. So the Avex Afray was the clothing side of things. Since we're working on a menswear, I was like, to be able to highlight menswear, I had to call it, you know, among brothers, which is, it means the French among brothers, which is kind of a brotherhood thing. But at the same time, it didn't meant that the sisters are apart. We just call it brotherhood. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> my skin comes from tailoring. I love women in suits. And if my girl can wear my suits, it's like, you know, she's one of the brother sisters. 
it's so, hot as well isn't it let's be honest um, <laughs> <laughs> um who's really wearing the trousers that's what i want to know there you go um, yeah. for me everybody wears a trousers at home everybody wears skirts everybody wears dress. we all wear it if it fits you wear it too right um and by the way for those of you who are not based in europe um or in london even Savile Row is a very famous, I'm sure you know, Savile Row is a very famous um, tiny little street in London, uh, famous for exclusive, exquisite tailoring for the designing client uh, suit makers. And we mentioned Oswald Botang just briefly. He um, founded um, his company there quite a few years ago now, and it was, it was quite a, a big a big thing for him to turn up there, to be honest, at the time, I remember, you know, he was like one of the first black uh, tailors there. His ta his tailoring is incredible, super colorful. Like he's particularly known for his purples and, and that kind of thing. And he was kind of like a modern uh, enfant terrible at the time, like when he started out. Yeah. Um, but it's nice to see like the changes that have been taking place, uh, just generally speaking in London and just around the corner from Savile Row uh, was is Cork Street. And at the time as well, it was very famous for art galleries as well. Definitely. And it's still, still, they still do. It still uh, is, yeah. Art gallery. And if I can just add on Savile Row, we, especially the Savile Row um, ex-apprentice or, or Savile Row designers or people we came from Savile Row, uh, we believe in it, and for me, that's my truth. I believe tailoring was born in England. It was born in that street, and it's still very much um, alive in that street. Like, and, and it has something very much uh, uh, magical to to me. And like, because if you look at uh, most of the houses, they they did clothing for royals, and and that yeah. goes you know, many centuries ago, and and, and I feel like uh, many decades ago. So I feel like that place definitely gave birth to tailoring. 100% and fashion today, like Lee McQueen, Alexander McQueen trained there as well. And all these wonderful stories and myths about things being hidden in the suits, pocket yeah. inside. Like, I love yeah, that. Yeah. And then, like, you know, Prince of Wales getting his suits there. We have the, the amazing, uh, the most stylish, probably the most stylish person I know in the world, David Bowie, getting his suit made Oh, my there, God. I love him so more. much. Yeah, Bowie for me was like, if we have to pick anybody... Like yeah. especially in England, like boy for me is like he's he's, he's top. Like he's, he's it was God. it was his uh, the time of this recording. His birthday was yesterday on the eighth of January. Yeah, yeah, a lot of people posted, and I didn't know what to post, and I was just like, you know, I'm just gonna keep hold my respect for him and mm -hmm. just hold it. Just you know, but I was very fortunate to work for one of the brand who also made uh, suits for him. Obviously, toward not toward the end of his career, but really toward a good chunk of like his last 10 years, um, was just wow. uh, Spencer Hart. Uh, Spencer Hart made a really nice, beautiful mm -hmm. suit with him. I think when they were doing a collaboration with, with the Aquascriptum. So I was mm -hmm. able to at least touch one of those pieces he could have worn. So I felt wow. very fortunate. And I find it, like for me, he's probably the most creative person in, in England. Like this is, yeah. Yeah, was a, he was, I mean, his son signs Aquarius and like, he really encapsulated that whole Aquarian theme of just being a complete maverick and crazy person. Like, yeah, <laughs> I want to do my thing. You like it, you like it, you don't, you innovative. don't. He was so innovative. Like, even on words you say, like, sometimes I just Google his interviews to be able to listen to what we say. And he says stuff which are so relevant now, like 30 years ago, or 30 mm. years later, um, or 40 years later. But he was so, so, so open as a true artist. He wasn't no pretending who say things openly like you know even challenging certain media you know um, you know without oh even, yeah yeah, yeah without like his his conversations to like mtv like asking them why oh, yeah. um they don't have like black music and why they're yeah. stopping that you know like you yeah. know that conversation has changed a whole generation to come you know when yeah. things about spotify and like the new streaming services again that's very aquarius like technology is all about aquarius thinking and i don't want to just put it on star signs but he literally is the example of that aquarian no, but, energy no, but you're but you're right it's really i i'm one of those person i probably don't believe on star sign but sometimes i do believe because you have things like that like boy what you mentioned but also my business partner shaka is aquarius and he's the person the brand actually go to be known worldwide because he's the guy who went straight to the whole wow. social media thing we need to do this we need to do that and he also studied computer science so he really made there sense technology uh, yeah, yeah. yeah yeah i mean it definitely it's all about the natal chart it's not just the sun sign it's the whole thing um 
just I'm sure I'm sure the high pay listeners want to know what's your sun sign what's your zodiac sun sign I'm a very I'm a perfectionist but I'm not attention really attention to detail there you go I mean I, I'll say I've picked the, the crazy side of the Virgo I'm just I'm like I'm a pure mess really like probably too eccentric I don't know but yeah this some traits I have as a Virgo people tend to call it out really quickly oh my my uh my soul sister's a Virgo she's so she's the you're the opposite of me I guess I'm Pisces so opposite signs um but still very spiritually inclined as well um let's um let's talk about your price points if that's okay um you know because for a lot of the high pay listeners that aren't aware of how the fashion I'm sure they are because they're intelligent <laughs> listeners but you know tell us about the price points in terms of entry market level um you know how you sell your your clothes your work your products yeah, so I know you have a, a shop as well online too. Yeah, so that's a really good question because I know a lot of people who, who knew the brand uh, or knew the collective for a while, sometimes they get surprised by certain prices of certain things. But for us, what matters for us is really how the products are made. So sometimes uh, you, you find certain um, products which um, they are on a very limited amount. Um, again, I'll, I'll highlight... Um, I'm pro-craft, I'm not pro-fashion. So I tend mm-hmm. to make it on a very uh, small amount because how they are made, but also uh, it's important to think sustainable. So most of the, the, the items we um, tend to release, they are no more than 50. Now, I remember the last time we did that, it was going to be used to do wholesale and we did leather jackets. I think we produced about 500, but then we realized because the things were getting too trendy, which is not us, we t- decided to, actually hold it back and talk, this is the last time we're going to do this so the mm-hmm. approach of being able to produce something well and not to do too many of it it became kind of just like okay this is how we're going to enter the market but while you do that you do that in england or in italy or in portugal or in turkey or in america you need to bear in mind that the production price is going to be different uh mm-hmm. you need to bear in mind that you're going to have to add certain prices to these pieces for the customer because you can't you can't cut, you can't cut corners because it's, it's, it's your ideology. You want to make sure that you, it's produced well, but it's no more than fifty. Uh, and also, we don't do sales. We don't go to sell. We don't put a product to sell. These jackets we did four years ago, everyone still wants it. If you're the right size, it's on the side you can get it. But uh, we also understand at the same time, it's like I don't want to be the, the brand who's known for oh this stuff are too expensive or this stuff are too cheap. For us, clothing is clothing. Mm-hmm. As business goes, you always have to multiply your production price by 2.5. The retailer, you multiply by 2.5 or 3.7 or 3 or even 3.5 if you are in Asia because you need to add on the 30% of... of um, Exportation. Of, yeah, taxes and stuff. Mm-hmm. So a lot of people don't, don't really look at those things that way. They just look at, oh, this is the leather jacket. It's way too expensive. Uh, I, I tend to be quite... Um, quite, quite deep into pricing because i know how that feels i i know if the price is too high i need to do the numbers again to figure out of course it's business we need to make sure we gain so we can able to work with with, with other pieces but it's also important to be able to keep certain places alive like you know these 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 factories i've been working with them for a decade now a decade plus right. and i need to make sure i still work with them because they understand me understand them but i don't want to just keep on going and be like oh can you make this at this price you know because it's not about finding a cheap deal but it's about finding someone who can make your garment perfectly but also can understand you well and deliver mm-hmm. the quality you want and you'll be able to have a client who's going to be happy with that piece uh for long long time that's the reason sometimes uh, i feel very proud when i see something i did like seven years ago on some kids in Japan they're still wearing them and and awesome. look and look apart. So for me it's very important. But then I also know that I'm gaining a new clientele who are younger. My younger clientele who were with me when I started would be in a decade now they're probably in their 30s or 40s. But then I also have a younger clientele in their 20s. Therefore we're doing a smaller things which can be affordable. But at the same time I want to teach the younger client um quality and also style. A tracker cup, let's say people are used to them tracker cups just having some synthetic fabric. I was like, yeah, but maybe for my side of thing, if it, that client need to understand that I can wear that tracker cap with this suit, which is a survey quality, 
I need to make sure that Chaka Cap say something to me. They will make it on, mm. on velvet, a British mm-hmm. velvet, velvet. So the fabrication is different. So we're telling the, the same story about a new point of view or a new sort of uh, uh, eye. So I think my pricing, I don't want to justify, but I make sure is based on that everybody gets paid who did the work on that piece because- Absolutely. It's so important to keep, as you say, those um, those infrastructures alive. You know, um, how, how do you feel about, I mean, I know in England, so many have closed down. I know that in New York, there's still uh, sort of like a fashion um, fashion district uh, in Los Angeles. There's also a fashion district there too. In London, it's just, they're really, they're really dying out, to be honest. Yeah, London is really hard because even now after Fashion Week here, when I go back to London, I want to go buy some fabrics. There's a fabric fair happening right now, but I can't be there because it's too late. So I would like to buy from locals and to buy from locals, you barely can find what you're really looking for. So luckily we still have places like McCann and Wallace in, uh, in mm, Soho. Yeah, I, I love that stuff. shop. Yeah, I love that. I've been buying stuff for them since I've arrived. I can buy stuff then be able to, to use it for sampling, but for production is also hard because then you're mm. going to need you know, you're going to need a much more quantity. Um, I think the best thing is really is be able to build up a sort of a portfolio of all these people. Um, you can still work with them till today. Like uh, most of the time when I want to do something like, let's say, an outerwear, I'll look into some people I used to buy in Premier Vision and PV. Mm-hmm. I still have the cards or the email and, and get them to send me the quality I'm looking for. But to be able to just walk into the shop now, the same way you can work in New York and go to Garment District, in London is really difficult. Um, it is difficult. I mean, I know because I I did train in leather. Uh, okay. I was a leather <laughs> I was a leather smith, by the way, for like two oh, years, wow. and um, at, from Nanakoja Fashion. And um, I know that there's. Uh, do you know Bachelors in Dalston? Yeah, the leather. Course, yeah. yeah, I love those guys. Oh, yeah, I love, I those, love guys. those guys. These guys, they've been there. I kid you not. Know, when I used to walk in Port Vila Market. So I used to like just do some military stuff and I'd be like, and I was really into like a like Western belt, like with big obaco. And mm-hmm. I'll go and be like, oh, I need to do five. And I'll, <laughs> I'll buy a separate buckle and I'll just cut stripes and they'll help me to like hammer it. And then I start buying tools for that. I love those guys. I literally go there now and I was like, guys, you look so old, man. They look at me, they're like, man, I know. You used to come here going, you have no facial hair. I know I should I should go I should pop my head around at some point maybe I'll I'll pop my head around with you one day or something if that's all right because it's been yeah. so long since I've no, been no, let's do that. I'm, I'm in London okay cool if that I'll, 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 I'll let you know but yeah I love going to these guys I mean I was there when um I think uh, last summer I just passed by to buy some trimming like, I, I love you no know, even though I'm not gonna really buy it for production just for like my own sampling. every time mm-hmm. yeah every time I go there they're like they just look at me like, are you still in France? Like, <laughs> <laughs> like beautiful conversations. And they're like, what I love of them, it feels like home. So obviously you mentioned scissors being like one of your favorite tools. Um, is it like your really, really favorite tool in the studio? Like, do you have like many, many, how many scissors are we talking here, man? <laughs> Well, so I'll tell you the truth. Uh, first, when I moved to London, I used to collect cameras because, of course, my background is photography. Uh, because I was really in love with vintage cameras, I had a wall of probably 50 cameras. Yeah. And also, I was really into Hedy Slimane and the whole Tumblr time. He used to post all these beautiful walls. And then when I started collecting scissors, but it wasn't even just about how many I want to collect. It was really more like the look of it. Mm-hmm. So when we had uh, a chance to be gifted for one of the scissors we made, um, which became our logo, actually our mentor, Liam Meher, who is now is a creative director for Ecoleather, he gifted us with that, that, that scissors. And wow. for the highlight was that he gifted us twice with that same scissor because normally only gives it to people once. He recognizes your skills, like, here you go. He gave us twice. I got chills. I got so chills. Really, and we're like, but, but, and one of them was like, I mean, large. I probably was like, long like, as your leg. Yeah, like literally long on my leg, and that's the one we have in the wall in our studio. Which again, I need to invite you one of those days for a couple oh, of teas. I would love. Tea. I would love to. I'll be yeah. honest. So in terms of scissors, so the two with the knuckle duster, we keep them really safe. Like literally, probably like we consider it like a diamond. And then I'm a bit of a I don't want to say a hawk, but I'm a bit of a hawk when it comes to scissors. I'll pick <laughs> one and I'll just use it for a while, and gonna move to the next country, I'll buy another one. 
But at least yeah. the deal with the knacker, that's the those are like my man. Um, I also was gifted at for me, probably my scissors is really based on gifted. So the ones I keep are the gifted ones. Because someone thought of you and they found it quite valuable to gift you that. But also they tend to gift me really like key things. Like my best friend here in Paris, his wife gifted me one of those old scissors. And it wasn't tailoring. It was more like a cobbler scissors. But it was something for 1920s. Again, vintage scissors. So I keep that also very, wow. very, very uh, lucky. And then one of the most respectable thing actually I could ever got from Japan, it was an old, old factory. I'm actually it's a home, um, it's a small business, family business. They used to make swords. And mm, wow, what? It's called Tajika. Tajika Gosh. from Japan. They offered me like a pair of like well box scissors. So that one, I don't even use them because that's using I say I'm quite a whole in the scissors I use. The other scissors, I'm like, those are like diamonds. We, so what is it? Like a samurai sword? Are we talking here? Like what? I mean, I'm talking sword? about sharp and samurai sword, like sharp and samurai sword. And the presentation wow. was amazing. And 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 then we like we had a chance to do the collaboration with them, but I was so like so afraid like of like just making the whole thing commercial. I was like, no, no, no. I'm just happy with this mm-hmm. gift. I'd rather keep scissors from you guys and that way I'm good. But yeah, so I'll probably like have four or five close ones to me, which I don't use. I'll keep them safe. And then I just change scissors depending on the country I go. But I always leave some on different storages. I have a storage in Sweden, in France. US and in London so I love that and I was going to ask you like how do you travel you know with scissors because I think I know I know that chefs need to like go through some sort of system when yeah. they travel yeah with their knives you're actually making a point I'm such a life traveler and I hate checking in because one day I lost something very valuable because of checking in so oh, I carry no. back yeah it was really bad so I carry a backpack and I tend to trying to explain to them because I had a problem once they stopped me one of the scissors i was in norway and we we lost two flies to be able to explain that this was props they were like we want to see the the, the 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 papers or whatever so now what i do is i leave scissors whichever place where i go and i'm gonna go to the next country buy one so i have another one in ghana mm-hmm. or the market i mean oh very good scissors but the scissors i'm like when i'm leaving i can't bring you with me because you know that's so sad though like gosh so i mean like to be honest like just talking about like knife crime to be honest yeah. like most knife crime happens with just the kitchen knife yeah. <laughs> uh statistically yeah yeah it's sad it's really it's I sad like, it's so it's weird like your profession is using scissors and i can't understand why that's it i can't travel with it it's my tool and i can't travel with it and and it's really pity because sometimes you tend to explain people but they look at you like it's not me it's the law and after Ugh. An argument, you're like, you know, I'm just gonna give up. So, I know people make jokes about me. They be like, oh yeah, you live, especially a female friend. They're like, oh, you live in different country. You must have women in every different country. I was like, <laughs> I got oh, now, I got scissors <laughs> in every different country <laughs> because they need to be waiting for me there. Uh, but yeah, sometimes I do check in and I do bring one with me. But I'm always afraid of losing them because you know you have mm. to end up like, especially if you're traveling fast, no one comes with you at the airport. You're like, you know what? I'm just gonna have to get rid of it. So. The precious one, I keep them locked. They're in London, they're my storage. Nobody It's expensive, them. though. It's expensive to live a life like that, just like constantly having to... I mean, we, I'm sure, we have to always buy new tools anyway um, to refresh our cupboard, but, you yeah. know, for, for work reasons, art, creative reasons. But, like, it's it must be so expensive, like, having to... Because maybe you won't find those specific scissors that you oh, actually yeah. use. Yeah. yeah, and those happened before. Like, the scissors I used to use in several row, they're like... I'll literally carry them everywhere. I'll check in just because, you know, the way nips, the fabric is different. The way, you know, and I'm comfortable with it, especially when you have to do a, a workshop. Like when we used to do art installations before we decided to make the the whole step into wholesaling and, and, and um, doing trade shows, we used to mm-hmm. just go to trade shows, just do art installations. We'll stay outside, cut fabric, stitch it, like do all that in PT Womo and in Paris and in Denmark. And for that, we had to bring our scissors. So we were checking in all the time. But then I'm like, I'm risking this to end up losing this piece. And then I'll be really, really sad. I'll be depressed. So I'd rather just mm. stop. But yeah, it's, it's it's kind of bad that the photographer can carry his camera. Designers can carry the computer. But when it comes to like tailor or chef, we use tools which are also dangerous for human beings. So. Yeah, it's mad. I don't know. I think you can still do damage with a spoon and a paintbrush too as well. But anyway, <laughs> um... <laughs> 
um so let's let's talk about marketing so you know as I said like you're you look pretty fresh you look cool um how important is it as well but like obviously on a serious note like how important is it that how you look as well right how you look because I'm sure you're you're representing your brand yeah, yeah I think presentation is a must especially if you come I mean right now I'm talking personally like yeah if you come from like a black family the first thing they'll tell you they're like don't make the family look bad out there, you know? They're like, can't be going out there looking scrappy because people are going to be like, you know, oh, the Lambert family, that's one of the, you know, it's about the last name of the family. Like, you know, and even back home, like people look at you as the last name of your family. So mm-hmm. presentation yeah. must. And, and we, fortunately, not fortunately for us, we work in a business which is based on visuals, you know? The first thing people see on a hairdresser or hairstylist is that when they're talking they're like you're talking about hair look at your hair so it's yeah. very, very i'm gonna get my hair done by this person That's do it. i trust them if their there hair looks go. like yeah. that yeah. and most of the time really we are our business cards especially if you grew up in london of the like late 90s that's when i moved to london like most of the gigs i used to get used to be based the way i look and mm-hmm. you want to know most of the business, that's how it works. Like people move to LA to be to become an actress, but what they do, bartending because people will notice them. So mm-hmm. I think we are our own business card. Therefore, I need to present myself well and I need to be um, as accurate in terms of what I do. So people do, wouldn't even guess if I answer, I, I, I'm this or I'll do this. So presentation for me on everything is a must. Even if it doesn't have to do with my profession, maybe... It's a very good side of me, but I really don't think so. I think it's really the way you present yourself, even the, the, your voice, the, the, the sound of your, your tone to a person. Um, and, and again, the space you take, the, the smell. So I tend to do that because I grew up in a bigger family. It was 10 of us. So I needed to be an individual between those 10 people. And all those 10 people, believe me, they're strong on their own. So imagine <laughs> a middle of 10 people and I'm the seventh child, you know, like who cares about the number seven, right? But you're number seven as well. That's I'm also a spiritual seven. number. Whoa. I know, I'm number seven. So but you I, made a way to stand out. And that's it. So I always felt like I need to first present myself to my family and then present mm-hmm. my family outside and then be able yes. to present myself with my um with my career and with my with my education my skills so presentation definitely definitely and and at some time it's actually it tend to become almost the only thing i care about how everything is presented if you're not presenting it well then i'm not clearly not interested that's the reason i love totally japan because the way they do all the displaying like they'll make you buy a fruit with pencil and a hat that they would <laughs> display all together <laughs> Yeah. no Italy Italy's like that too with like when I go back home it's like everything is just so wonderfully packaged you know or like displayed as you say like you're going to a cartoleria like a you know a stationery shop and like everything is like oh I, this is a note paper but it's like in a beautiful box and it's got ribbons yeah. and yeah like I remember even just in London when I was really when I start getting interesting with like buying, because before I wasn't really like buying in stores, I would buy from from vintage market because I lived in Portville. It was easy to just buy a five quid leather jacket. But then I'm yeah, like, yeah. I'm smaller things. I remember first time I entered Muji. I was like, oh my God, the <gasps> yeah. shops look like everything had instruction. Everything was well planned. And then, of course, when I went to Japan, it made sense. So that's yeah. just in my head. Even my food, like that's how I eat it. I separate my fruits. I separate my, it's presentation. Like You're such a Virgo. It's unreal. <laughs> um <laughs> Sorry, I, I, sorry. I, I really enjoy teasing people, but um, in a in a nice way. I mean that in yeah, the most I, I sweet way. Yeah. <laughs> um, I've actually I've really got to go to Japan. It, it's I've been meaning to go there for years, and I've been to China for work, but for some reason it hasn't been the right time. So, but I I'm sure the divine time will happen for me in Japan. I just know it's calling, and I have a like I've had this like ridiculous obsession with samurais you know when I was growing up and Japanese art and even Japanese um how do you say how do I say this on high I'm just gonna say Japanese pornography like growing up because my mum again my mum's really cool like she she had these she had um she's gonna kill me when I when she hears this but anyway um just on the coffee table you know when I was growing up and becoming a teenager like teenage angst and everything um we are quite an open family so you know we're able to talk about sex and and all of these things and if we had any questions and things like that and I would talk to my brother as well 
and um but mum had the um you know the kama sutra book yeah. you know okay. and which is amazing if you read the introduction yeah. it's incredible yeah. it's all about you know like yeah, all the things before you actually get into the physical act yeah. understanding the body also yeah and then we had and then we had this um beautiful japanese art book as well um which i think later got banned i think in the 20s 1920s in england because yeah. it was just too graphic for the victorian women <laughs> Or something like that, 1920s or Victorian age, I don't know. Yeah. It's amazing. It's actually published by Tashin, by, published by Tashin. I don't know if we have a copy, but it's really old. Um, but yeah, I would just flick through that, you know. And again, there's kind of, and I guess also because of the culture that I'm from too, like South American Italian, like we, sex is part of our culture. It's in our food. Yeah. It's like, there's no, you know, we can walk around. Yeah, we can go topless on the beach, like in France. Like, it's no big deal. Yeah. You know, you know and then also I think Japanese they have this way of like really genius because I was also the same as you and I'm sure you're gonna love Japan you're gonna love you out there. Um, when I came to London, I was like, oh, I love the freedom of like you know creating our people that look so cool and creative. But while I was in London, I fell in love with Japanese culture because again, Japanese denim, Japanese way of being. Like, I'm seeing all these young Japanese guy wearing big old shoes. Like, but I was wearing sneakers. They wearing shoes. But also, while I was, <laughs> yeah, discover one thing Japanese. I found out about the other thing I'm interested in. So when I was falling in love into Japanese denim, of course, as a teenager, you, you're talking about porn, you're also into porn. And I discovered Araki, Japanese photographer, who photographed his wife in a very obscene way, but an artistic way. And I was like, Araki for me was like the king when it comes to photography. When all the photographers came shooting nudity, I was like, no, you're nothing. You're nothing compared mm -hmm. to Araki. Araki did it like as, you know, as it is. Like, there was no hiding or trying to sugarcoat it was like really it's straight on and i saw a beautiful exhibition by him and i was just into the whole work of um of his, his creation and it, and, it, and it is about owning one's sexuality too right and i don't mean that in the kind of like let's be trendy sort of thing it's actually like owning who you yeah. are and it's a very empowering state it's it yeah. literally is your your organs down there are like rooted down you know like if you know who you are down there then you know who you are out yeah, there i say it. i would say no, it's true. And, 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 and how, how, too. how does that affect um how does that affect you in terms of fashion and online um with all of these kind of policies where we're not able to show nipples and things like that? You know, I had a huge backlash on my Instagram, just me being nude, not being uh like intentionally sexualized. I was actually turning the male voyeur onto myself and I felt I found yeah. myself uncomfortable, but like I was also owning my sexuality. Um, it was actually a process of grieving, to be honest. But how do you find all of that? So I, I find it quite disturbing when people can't difference art from actually something obscene. Mm -hmm. It's how the view we make things obscene. Mm -hmm. Because if you remember anything you did as a child, going to show you the body, like they show you the body, not with clothes, how the body is actually is, is inside. So we tend to start adding those things because of our dirty thought. I was just having this conversation yeah. with a friend. I was like, I remember my first time doing a styling and I was styling a, a small fashion show, nothing big in London, like doing carnival. Someone decided to put something together and they were like, Sam, we really like your vision. Like, can you style all the models? And I remember being backstage with bunch of beautiful women you know like you're from london like just different races different sizes yeah and you have to get nude quickly to change into your you. next yeah that's it and mm -hmm. when i did that job literally every woman was just flying the clothes out and then i remember afterwards i went to hang out with the boys we we're teenagers we were hanging out with the boys in the market they'd be like bro like, Dude, such, you know, bitches, like, i saw this and i saw that yeah and i was like because <laughs> my friend they were there kind of see me working and i was like bro i didn't even notice it because i was on, on work mode like yeah. you told and of course, for, for boys, you're like, what are you talking about? I was, like, I was on a work mode. So when I'm on the work mode, I see a model. I don't see a woman with breasts. Yeah. I don't see the I see like how oh, this garment is with them. And it was really going to hit me. I was like, yo, like I come to work to be able to actually present the visual noise about the person behind it. Um, mm -hmm. And I think because also taking my background, I studied photography. I didn't study tailoring. I was right. trained as a study photography. And my photography was more me um, researching around my curiosity. As a child, I was one of those kids who found every kind of woman attractive, old, young. Mm -hmm. but I also wanted to find out like why they're so different from us or why, why it's so appealing for me looking at them. So when I started photography, I was doing black and white photography. Uh, and uh, Beautiful. It was, uh, 
on on um on the manual days. It wasn't digital. I had to develop pictures in this dark room, which was yeah, beautiful. I love that. And then I, and I love the smells as well, yeah, the chemicals, the texture, how you can actually alter it. And I decided my assignment it won't be me going out of the street. The teacher used to be like, go in the street, shoot trees, shoot the concrete, shoot whatever you find attractive, whatever you know it, it pleases you. And being in London, this for me is the first time to see so many like cool women, which I didn't have nothing with them, but it was just like really cool energy. And I love female energy. So I started asking some of my female friends to shoot them nude. Mm-hmm. And I'll show you that I developed and my teacher was like, you can see the shock in his face. How do you get to, to, to do that? How do you get to shoot that? And some people were even asking me, which page you download that from? I said, I didn't download that. I shot yeah. this. Something I prefer. Like, if you're going to go shoot heels and mountains, I'll shoot like a good black woman buttocks. Like, but I'll shoot <laughs> yeah. that. I'm prepared. There's, there's mother nature there for you. Right, That's right. it, yeah. And then I think because of that, when it comes on Instagram and all this, I start finding it odd because I'm like, first of all, I love being topless, especially when I'm somewhere warm. And also, Same. I'm an exhibitionist. I love showing my tattoos and my, my skinny frame. I love <laughs> I'm working around topless and I'll probably get a picture taken from Instagram. I'll post it on my Instagram to tell whatever I need to say. I don't have to cover my nipple. And then women have to cover yeah. the nipple. So where all that... Double standards. Yeah, it is really... It's and a, really... and a, lot of, a lot of black women in particular are sexualized and fetishized. Yeah. Yeah, and then that's the reason we it has to stop. look at those images that way because we are having a sexual mindset instead instead of having an artistic mindset. I kid you now. If you today you decided like, I, I, and I challenged my, most of my friends like that. I was like, look, if you come to a show, come with me backstage and look at those women as as art, you won't get excited. You won't look at them the way you oh you it was bare chest. Open a magazine where you see like nude women and looking as art. You yeah. won't, you don't want to go to gallery and get all. Oh, because you're seeing nude women no you can't get an erection when you're when you're um yeah. when you're life drawing you know it's yeah. like when your artistic brain is set on that you're just you looking at shapes yeah and when you tell that to people that are potentials, you know it's like no you're actually looking at the beauty of it no the excitement of looking at it if if that was the case i'll get excited just by looking at the fabric i love silk so, yeah. <laughs> so I'm such a I get horny over canvas. Um, <laughs> um, what about um, you know, your sort of like more experimental approach to fashion? You know, I know that uh, Shalayan had done a soluble coat recently. Is that something that you'd be kind of interested in, or have you done before, like fabrics or materials or projects or concepts that may not necessarily be for sale? Let's say. To purchase so for me it's very important to always keep the art alive in many different ways and i think one of my first love before anything to do with fashion all that is tools like we mentioned before so um even though like in fashion i'm still working on certain fabrications with like um with different sort of uh uh i don't want to say tribe but with different communities weavers i, I work with weavers in Amazing. mexico and in yeah. Africa, so I'm using all these pieces as piece of art, but it's really more me exhibiting the craft. But one thing I'm 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 taking in into consideration to really bring out as art is that one of my second best favorite tool. I started using comb as one of my uh, uh, next tool as as piece of art. So I'm making um, metal work around the, the, the comb, and also the idea of comb being one of the tools, not just for us to comb our hair, but also tool used to be one of the tool they use for textile to come yes yeah comb up so many meanings the many different tribes so right now most of the work and what kind of comb like plastic plastic. wood metal Mm -hmm. and right now most of the work i'm going to be releasing for the the up and coming events is going to be all around combs um so i did one exhibition during uh last fashion week at 35 37 the dover street space in paris now i'm going to do another one next summer but it's all around comb because i really want to relate the work of uh, textile but also of us as a people the, the weaving the wool hair all that with the combs i'm telling a story through combs uh but differently you know just as a comb but you know i'll, I'll again i'll send you some uh, yeah please please do because i'm all about the conceptual um yeah. for sure as well um and so what are you working on right now other than that so i know that you you're kind of working on like paris fashion week um prep and and all the stresses that are involved with that um yeah uh, so one one of the things I I do now because the collective has gone bigger uh, now we have this collective of collectives which is called Global Village 
and the whole idea of global village is mixing uh, people from different disciplines, but who are working together as people from the same village. As you know, the theory of village is like you need a carpenter, you need a, a chef, blacksmith, you need a, mm-hmm. blacksmith, a carpenter, all, all that. And I think the idea of that was that if I design, I need to find a weaver or a doctor or a mental um uh, a mental healer or one of those type of things that we can all use uh each other's skills. And I think because of that, when we went to New York, we actually came back with a much more strong idea of the, how we're gonna move as people. So Fantastic. one of the yeah, one of the projects I'm working on now, I tapping into like moving picture into making shorter videos to tell stories that's fantastic oh my god i'm so excited i can't wait to see them what i'm doing is i'll create the theme i'll send the theme to whoever wants to be part of it can be a a musician or a poet or or a writer for them to write about that theme and then i'll create the visual i'll go somewhere the last one i did um, i shot the ventopia i'll create Mm -hmm. a visual and we shot it there and i go one of my um uh, a really good friend uh it's called big group big group used to be part of outcast in the early days he used to do all the interest no, amazing cool. poet yeah so he wrote a poet about the blues so i'm really planning to work more on this type of thing because i want to push these things in different medias because yeah. i think visual um and, and and sound are quite important in terms of how can we push our works forward so sometimes the cloth won't reach that far by sound and visual reaching many different places without needing uh, uh, to transport um, physically, but you can do that through online. Definitely. I I also, I also definitely see a podcast that would work really well with, with you guys too. I'm sure, I'm sure, you know, there's no limit to your artistry. And I think the the States is really good for that. It's just like expansion, you know, you got an idea, run with it. Yeah. And I think because of that also, like we, during pandemic, we worked on a couple of um, ideas for documentary, which was, we did a, a, a series called No Music, No Live. Uh, and we were interviewing all our musician friends and they even interviewed, just having a conversation like you and I. And mm-hmm. it went really well. One of the, actually we opened up with one of our first guests, which was Willem. And as soon as we started Willem, it was like, this is so great, this is so necessary. You need to sell this as a documentary. You need to you know tap into as a documentary and he's like and i'll be willing to participate so we were looking into like how can we actually put the the visual of what we did online by going to start doing a physical one and be able to uh to offer it as a documentary so that's another thing where we're still looking into but i think there's a bigger bigger market in, in terms of like online uh, yes is, there is uh, yeah around moving pictures Absolutely. I agree. And um, I'm sorry, I missed, I must've missed that on my research. I'm going to check that out as well, for sure. Right. After. Um, so New York, New York is calling her. Huh? It's exciting. Yeah. Yes. Very exciting. That's the word. New York, New York, even though I'm wearing LA cup. It's so yeah. Big. Yeah. It's so <laughs> big signals. Yeah. <laughs> I love confusing people. <laughs> yes. You tell people you're going to do this, you end up doing that. That's it. I'm going to wear all black. Oh, shit, I wear all red. <laughs> but, you know, it's quite interesting, like, your um your colour palette. I w- yeah. really, really wouldn't say it's a colour palette because it's black, you know, it's mainly. Um, But, it, yeah, it's, it, it's amazing. Like, I, I always, like, I don't envy. I'm not really an envious person. But I always, like, admire people that use black in their work, like, as a painter as well. Um, In fashion, it's, like, I could. Mm. I don't think I could just do that because I'm such a colorist. Um, no, if you hang out with me, you will. <laughs> I love. I, no, look. I, have a I love wearing. Black. <laughs> <laughs> I love wearing black. I love. I wear black mainly in the evening, and my underwear is usually black. But that's Thanks. it. Like you know. <laughs> um, but yeah, that's cool. Let's let's get on to the questions about your people, your inspirational people. Um, let's bring it down to three. Who would be your three inspirational people? Oh, that's a really good question. And and uh there's some core ones I probably well might mention one and then there's some of them that kind of just change seasonal. Uh but if we really have to start from one place, just taking my life, I have to say one of the main characters, Jimi Hendrix. Uh that's that's amazing. Yeah, yeah. We had another yeah. guest um who also mentioned Jimi Hendrix, which is interesting. And Jimi Hendrix have to do a lot with me calling myself Black Gypsy or so, you know. If you right. remember when Jimi Hendrix left experience and he left England and moved back to America, mm-hmm. the band, the, the trio, it was called Band of Gypsies. And which is like, 
is a pure revolution for me in terms of sound also what you can do you know be able to reinvent yourself also right uh mm -hmm. definitely and also just his story about him being in england and and I sometimes i actually tend to follow his roots and the montague square he lived in montague yeah, square yeah, and, yeah, yeah. All, about. Mm -hmm. all that yeah so um him being one of them um and i think his style was also his style fresh. was amazing yeah his style they look like i remember when i was rocking my afro like again england was one of those places that gave me that that really that courage to rock my afro also like that just our deal so yeah like, it was really free, like this one called Freedom. Uh, and then I'll say the second one, it has to be uh, Jean-Michel Basquiat, you know, mm -hmm. for many different reasons. But again, sure, sure. one is Haitian, obviously, and also is Puerto Rican side, but for one is Haitian, and I have yes. a lot of respect for uh, Haitian people, you know, the revolution and all that, the beliefs, you know. Um, but also, okay. like, he created a style of painting which is really key like he's one of those person who's like i'm going to be myself and it's very very <laughs> very much himself that influenced so many different people but he did it by paying respect you know like this is one of those type of person i keep finding many different layers of him like lately yeah. i found a quote which i end up posting on my instagram which is it talks about uh a well dresser who who gives salvation or something like that but i just love the mm -hmm. fact that he talks about dressing well and he uses as part of his art, but also he, he used a lot of sim symbols. It was a lot yes, of art. There was so many layers that still today when I stare at basket art, I find something new, which inspired my work again. Um, and in, and, I, and I love that story of a pain, like, you know, he, mm. he was probably um, expressing himself to all the pains you have to leave, but also his identity was split. He also had to express yeah. Yeah, so he was typecast a lot in the states. Yeah, he definitely yeah. was. That's mm. it, and that's just one of those type of things. And he expressed both very well and very clear there. Um, and probably the third one, which is really hard because I always <laughs> love to like include someone familiar, which is a given, of course. Like if I say someone such as my dad, um, because of course this is the reason I do tailoring, even though as a kid I didn't want to do tailoring. I remember my dad pull him in when I want to go play soccer. I'll be like, come back here. Can you hold the fabric? Can you mark the stroke? And I would be like, I just want to go and play. But <laughs> come back after five hours playing, my dad would still be in the front yard. But then it go darker. We have a light on him and we'd be stitching. Like, you know, massive respect for that guy. Like I didn't realize wow. to England, I'd be like, yo. And then also I feel like my dad never actually aimed for me to be a tailor. He wanted more to be my sister, to be the seamstress. But I feel like he haunted me. That 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 childhood of me not wanting to hold the fabric and just being a rebel. I just want to go and play. So when I moved to England, the making of clothes came so easy that I didn't understand it. I was like, where do I go? This interesting from. I, I love camera. I love radios. I love you know. So I think my dad, in a way, blessed me without realizing. So uh, and until today, of course, he's one of the reasons I tattooed uh, scissors in my hand because I feel like that's a tool that represents the work I do, but also represents my dad. He's almost like having his portrait. Um, and obviously through that, he made him respect everyone else's uh, dad or mom who pass on their skills to them. So looking at most of my friends, and you know, I know where you get that from because of your mom or because of your dad. So it's key to have that pillar of a person mm -hmm. in, your, in your upbringing, and then you can actually find your own way. I mean, through Absolutely. that, now looking at my dad's picture, the way he used to dress, I'd be like, I dressed like this before. <laughs> so, yeah. I love that. I love how we become our parents. <laughs> oh yeah, definitely. Like, definitely. As, as much as we didn't want to. Sorry. Oh my gosh. Yeah. Um, and uh, three tips. What would be your three tips and tricks to someone who's starting out in fashion or photography or um, the arts in general? So three tricks, I mean, I'll say be strong in your research. Like really mm. research on anything, on everything, even they don't have to do with what you want to do, ask questions why. Look for the why of things. Uh, three, so two, be yourself. Like really, whatever you want to do, if, if no one is doing it, just make sure you are being yourself. Uh, three, I'll say, offer yourself for free to people, to service, mm. to do stuff. That's how you learn new skills. That's how you get contact. That's how you 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 get to really... Uh, you know, because at the end of the day, the context is going to be one of the main things. That's 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 money right there. So it's really, really key that, you know, you sharpen your skills by offering yourself to work for people. And work like if they were paying you, even if it's for free. Because yes. yeah, you actually be able to show your work ethic on anything you do. 
there you go hi pay listeners absolutely it's um yeah I just I just again I thought you were just too cool for school man I was like let me Thanks. just send to a message and see if he's interested in my little humble podcast in the no, corner of the world of the ethers you, and you. social media I'm so glad you said yes and I'm so glad you're here um honestly and uh, and lastly what would be your word of wisdom or words of wisdom to the high pay listeners so I tend not to give people advice because I feel like we are all the same and sometimes giving people advice I feel like I'm acting out I'm IT but I'll say uh, I'll share something I learned from my peers and for me watching and for me uh, looking at other cultures. Um, also self-discipline. Self-discipline is everything. Self-discipline got me to where I am now. Self-discipline it keeps me um, content. Uh, Self-discipline, it gets me to do things like I didn't even think I would ever do in my life. Uh, Self-discipline for sure. Absolutely. These are key. I'm sure the high pay listeners are making all the notes and re-listening to this episode. Honestly, like, thank you so much. Thank you so much um, for coming. And that's that's it on this episode, everyone. High pay listeners, we hope you've enjoyed it. Please continue to share, share, share. And uh, yeah, we're on Apple Music now, Spotify, Amazon Music, uh, wherever you get your favorite podcast, we are there. So check in next Thursday with another inspirational guest. Bye for now.